Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, May 6, 2021. Tonight's shear is dedicated in observance of the yard site of Herschel Stern, which will be this Shabbos, the 26th of E.R., Shmuel Tzvi ben Yechiel Stern. Herschel Stern was a wonderful person, a longtime member of Adath, someone who loved Torah, loved studying Torah, loved sharing Torah, teaching Torah, and I hope that our words tonight will be a fitting tribute to Herschel. And I want to thank Claire Stern, Sharon and Nissan Friedman, Faye and Mayer Stern for sponsoring tonight's Shear. Also, just to wish a Mazel Tov on a baby boy, the first boy born in the family since Herschel's passing. So may Herschel's neshama have an aliyah and Mazel Tov to the family. There is a crucial subject that is not in the Book of Ruth, but it's made to appear as if it is in the Book of Ruth. So we need to understand, number one, what the subject is, number two, why it is not in the Book of Ruth, and number three, why is it made to appear as if it is in the Book of Ruth. And I'm referring to the mitzvah of Yibum. Now this is a mitzvah, it's usually translated as leveret marriage. Lever is Latin for brother-in-law. And the Torah says as follows in the parsha of Kisetze, later on in the Torah. The Torah says as follows, Ki yeshvu achim yaktov, when there will be brothers who are alive at the same time, so there's multiple brothers, and one of the brothers is married, umes achad mehem, and one of the brothers who is married passes away, uben einlo, and this brother that died did not leave any children in the world, then there is a special rule concerning his widow. Losia eishes ames hachutza lishzar, the widow, the wife of this man that died, is not allowed to simply go ahead and marry whoever she wants, even though she's no longer married and she is a widow. Rather, Yavama Yavo Aleha Ulakahalo Liisha Vyibma. Rather, if assuming that she wants to do this and her husband's brother, her brother-in-law wants to do this, there is a mitzvah for them to marry, for the brother to take over the marriage in place of his brother that passed away. Again, it assumes that both of them want to do this, is never in force. We never coerce or require someone to marry somebody else, but if they would want to, and if there's more than one brother, the oldest brother has the first opportunity. He doesn't want to go to the next brother, etc. Then the Torah says, And if this happens, that they marry each other, then the firstborn child of their union, if they should have a child, Yakum al Shem Ochiv Hames. Now, literally, that means should be the child should be 
established for the name of the brother that passed away. Those words are somewhat ambiguous and we're going to have to see what they mean. But here's a hint. They do not mean what it sounds like they mean. All right. So there's something that's going to happen with this child. And then the Torah says as follows. And if the brother-in-law, meaning the brother of the man that passed away, does not want to take his place and carry on the marriage of his brother to be married to his sister-in-law, even though she wants that, but he does not want to, then what the widow does is a ceremony called chalitza. And chalitza means she goes to the Betin, the Jewish court, and she says, My brother-in-law refuses to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibum, of leveret marriage. And they call him to come to the court. And he says, no, I don't want to do this. Then, the widow comes close to him and there's the following ceremony where she removes a shoe that he is wearing. It's like a sign of rebuke or put down. She removes a shoe that he is wearing and then she spits in front of him Again, a sign of demeaning him. Va'ansa And everyone answers and says, This is what happens to a man who is not willing to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibum when the widow would want this to happen. So this is a ceremony that is parallel to a get to a divorce ceremony. In other words, the, it will sever the relationship between the two of them and then she is free to marry whoever she wants. The same ceremony takes place if she does not want this relationship. They go through this ceremony and practically speaking, you should know today and for the last uh, several thousand years, we actually require each couple in this circumstance to go through the ceremony of chalitza, we do not allow this mitzvah of yibum to take place. That's a complicated subject. We'll come back to that another time. But there's a problem because this mitzvah of yibum is one brother taking over the marriage of another brother that died. In other words, it's a brother who's going to be married to his sister-in-law. I should say his former sister-in-law because his brother passed away. But the problem is that earlier, just a couple of weeks ago in the Parsha of Kedoshim, we learned the Torah told us that that relationship is prohibited. It's an act of incest. If a man should marry the wife of his brother, even after his brother passes away, it's prohibited. It's an act of incest. It's not allowed. So how can there be a mitzvah of Yibum when 
the relationship is prohibited because it's incest. So, our rabbis in the Talmud explain, this is an example of a principle known as asei doche los asei. A positive commandment takes priority over a negative commandment. When there is a conflict between two mitzvot, one of them is negative, do not do this. The other is positive, you should do this. In certain circumstances, the positive commandment takes priority over the negative commandment. But, it's only if all the conditions are met. So, if the two brothers are brothers from the same father, they're alive at the same time, the first brother leaves no children, then there's a mitzvah of yibum. But if though any one of those conditions is not in place, then it's a terrible sin. So, you have one act, it's either a great mitzvah or a terrible sin, depending on the circumstances. Okay, now, let's go to the Book of Ruth. Remember, we're discussing different aspects of the Book of Ruth in preparation for Shavuos, which is coming soon. So, this is going to help us with background to being able to understand an underlying theme that is a major theme within the Book of Ruth. This will help us to understand that so that we'll be able to appreciate it better when Shavuos comes. All right. Ruth is married to a man named Machlon. Machlon is Naomi's son. Machlon dies and leaves no children. He has a brother named Kilion. Theoretically, there might be a mitzvah of Yibum involved there, but Kilion also dies, unfortunately. So, there is no brother, there is no Yibum, there is no mitzvah of Yibum whatsoever. Later in the story, Boaz marries Ruth. That is not the mitzvah of Yibum, because Boaz is a cousin to Machlon, Ruth's first husband. A cousin, there is no mitzvah of Yibum. The mitzvah of Yibum is only an actual brother. So Yibum does not occur in the book of Ruth but it is made to appear as if it is in the book of Ruth. For example, there are a couple of examples, but I'll give you just one. Last week we discussed that Ruth asks Boaz to be the Goel, the Redeemer. So what that means is Naomi had been a wealthy person before she and her husband and her family left Bethlehem, the city where they lived. And her husband and her two sons died. She comes back to Beis Lechem with Ruth, her former daughter-in-law, but she's called her daughter-in-law. And when she comes back, Naomi is impoverished. All of the fields that she had owned had been sold off to satisfy creditors. So there is a mitzvah that we discussed last week, and it's actually in this week's Torah portion, the Parsha Bahar called Geulas Karka, the redemption of land, which means that a relative can buy back the field and return it to the possession of the original person who had to sell it because of poverty. And that's a great mitzvah. So Boaz is asked by Ruth 
to be the goel, to buy back the fields that had originally belonged to Naomi and return them to Naomi's possession so that Naomi will no longer be impoverished. She will have a source of income to support herself. That's called the goel, the redeemer. Boaz says to Ruth when she asks him to do this mitzvah, this kindness, this favor, Boaz says, well, I would like to do it, but there's a problem because I, he says, I'm not the closest relative. Boaz is a nephew to Elimelech, Naomi's husband, but there's another relative, Ploni, who is a brother to Elimelech. So he's a closer relative. And the way redemption of property works, this mitzvah of Geula, is it's offered first to the closest relative. If that relative declines, then the next relative can have a chance. Similar to the mitzvah of Yibum, where the oldest brother, surviving brother, is given the first chance, and if not, the next brother. Okay, it's a similarity. So Ruth asks Boaz. Boaz says, I've got this, pro I'd like to do it, but there is this technicality. So, the next morning, Boaz tries to solve the problem. The next day, he goes to Plony, his uncle, the closer relative, and he says, Plony, you are the closest relative to Elimelech, now to Naomi. You have the first right of refusal to do this mitzvah of Geula, of redeeming the fields. And then listen to the words that Boaz says to him. Vayomer Boaz. And Boaz says to Ploni, his uncle, Biyom kenoscha asada miyad Naomi. At the same time that you're going to buy, that you have the opportunity to buy back the fields and return them to the possession of Naomi, that's the mitzvah of Geula, redemption of property, you will also marry Ruth. It's not immediately clear why those two things go together, but listen to the next words. You will also marry Ruth. That is, I'm giving you the opportunity to marry Ruth. Again, assuming both of them agree to it. To establish the name of the dead husband, meaning Ruth's husband, Machlon, who died. Hold on a second. That phrase sounds like Yibum. That's almost the same phrase that the Torah uses about Yibum. But this is not Yibum because it's not the brother. So since Ploni is just a relative, and Boaz is just a relative. Neither of them are Ruth's brother-in-law. Why is this phrase here that sounds like the same phrase used for the mitzvah of Yibum, which it's not? So, let me share with you the following Commentary that will help to understand this problem. The Ramban, Nachmanides, in his commentary to the Torah, in the book of Bereshis, 
gives us two reasons for this mitzvah of yibum, this leveret marriage, that a brother-in-law should take over the marriage of his dead brother. Sounds like a very strange kind of a thing, but the Ramban gives two reasons. The first is based on Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, and it goes like this. The neshama, the soul of the first husband who died, is reborn, the soul is reborn into the baby that comes from the union of the widow and her brother-in-law, the Yavam. And that's the meaning of that phrase, Lahakim Shem Hames, to establish the name of the brother that passed away. It does not mean give the baby that will be born to this couple the name of the brother that passed away. That's what it sounds like. That's like the, the obvious understanding to establish the name of the dead brother, meaning if there's a baby that's born, you give that baby the name of the brother that passed away. But that's not what it means. And there is no such requirement that a baby born to this new union should have the name of the brother that passed away. That is not correct. According to the Kabbalah, to Jewish mysticism, it's that the soul of the brother that passed away, which this brother died young, he died childless, he died with his mission in life unfulfilled. So by his widow marrying his brother, the surviving brother, there is a spiritual way in which the soul of the brother that passed away, it transmigrates into the soul of the baby that will be born to this couple. And that's why it's a mitzvah to give this second chance for the soul to be able to come back to this world. Okay, that is a Kabbalistic understanding. I don't completely understand how that works. I'm not an expert in Kabbalah Jewish mysticism, but that's what the Ramban says. The Ramban gives a second reason. And that is very different than the first. The Ramban says <clears throat> that the mitzvah of Yibum is meant to address a situation of a woman who is vulnerable and in need. There's a woman, she got married, she left her family's home because now she's married, and then Nebuch, God forbid, her husband died and there are no children. So she has no connection to her husband's family. It's not like their children which connect her with the children's grandparents, her dead husband's parents. And she has lost or weakened the connection to her own family. So she may be able to care for herself. She may be able to support herself financially and emotionally, and that's fine. Yibum is not needed. That's absolutely fine. But it's possible that she may need help. She may need financial help. She may need emotional help. Yibum is a mitzvah of chesed of kindness and compassion in a situation where it is needed and wanted for the brother-in-law to take over the marriage 
to take his deceased brother's place in the marriage, again, only if they both want that to happen. Ordinarily, this relationship would be prohibited. It is an act of incest. But when it is within this context of helping this woman, it's a mitzvah. And if this woman is willing and wants this relationship with her brother-in-law, but the brother refuses to do this, that is a lack of compassion on his part. And that calls for a ceremony where he is demeaned. He is criticized for his lack of compassion to his brother's widow. And the ceremony of Chalitza says, this, where she, the widow, says about her brother-in-law, he refuses to do this act of, of kindness. He refuses to come to my assistance and to carry out the mitzvah of Yibam, and he should be degraded for losing, rejecting the opportunity to do this magnificent act of kindness. That's the reason for the pejorative aspect of this ceremony of Chalitza. Okay, now, the Ramban Nachmanides continues. And he says, all of this is the letter of the law for the brother to do, but only when all of the conditions are in place. But in addition to the letter of the law, there is also the spirit of the law. And that means any relative of the brother that died, even though the formal mitzvah of Yibum does not apply because that requirement is only a mitzvah for the actual brother, but any relative could do the same thing. Again, assuming both of them are willing. This would be a supreme act of kindness, of compassion, of chesed, similar to the mitzvah of Geula of redemption of property, which is an altruistic act that will enable someone to escape the cycle of poverty, as we discussed last time. Again, I keep repeating this because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Again, only if the widow and the relative of the husband who died want this relationship to take place. And that is what Boaz does. Boaz is the goel for the fields of Naomi and he marries Ruth not in the formal fulfillment of the strict letter of the law but in the spirit of the law of Yibum. And that's why the phrase of Yibum is invoked even though the formal mitzvah does not apply but the spirit of the idea of Yibum is a major part of the story of Ruth. So what we have is another mitzvah that is widened in scope to allow one to care for another in need in a most wonderful and altruistic manner. And it is clear from the text 
of the book of Ruth that Boaz realizes what he is doing for Ruth is much less than what Ruth is doing for Boaz. Okay, that's background for the book of Ruth. Hopefully it will make it more meaningful when we come to Shavuos and read it on Yom Tov. This week's Torah portion is the double Parsha, Bahar B'chukosai, and with this Parsha we end the third book of the Torah, the book of Ayikra. The second Parsha, B'chukosai, <coughs> starts with the following words. In B'chukosai Telechu, God says to the Jewish people, if you follow my commandments and observe my laws, then all of these blessings are going to happen to you. You're going to have plenty. There'll be rain. You'll be fruitful. Everything will be good. There'll be peace. Everything you could want is going to happen. God says, if you follow my commandments. Then the parsha says, V'im lo but if you do not listen to my commandments and you do not follow my laws, then there's a series of the opposite of blessings that take place. And it is a very frightening scenario of very not good things to happen to the Jewish people if that takes place. Okay. It's a complex and heavy Parsha and it is difficult to understand on many levels. But let's just focus on one small part of it. Let's focus on the first part. That's a lot more pleasant to deal with. In If you follow my commandments, then all of these wonderful things are going to happen. Blessing after another blessing until we get to the final verse. This is the final verse in the series of blessings that will happen if we observe all of our commandments, all of God's commandments, of course, to the best of our ability, nobody's perfect, but here's the pinnacle of the blessing. A very curious verse as follows. I am the Lord your God. I took you out of the land of Egypt. And I saved you from being slaves in Egypt, right? That's the story of Exodus. The Eshbar Motos Ulchem. I break the burden or the, the, the bars of your yoke. You know, a yoke is that heavy thing that's on an animal that's carrying a plow. I break the bars, the burden of your yoke. The Olech Eschem and I lead you, I march you upright. Komamius, upright. Very strange phrases. And there's a problem with the grammar in this verse. Because the first part of the verse is in the past tense. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt and saved you from slavery. That's past tense. But the last two phrases are in a tense that in Hebrew is known as the present ongoing tense. In other words, it's a present tense, but it also includes a future tense. Changing of tenses within one sentence is very strange. 
Ve'eshbar motos ulchem, I present tense and future tense, I do this now and I will do it in the future, lift up the yoke from being a burden on you, ve'olech eschem komimius, and I lead you upright. What is that? Is it a blessing? It's the it's the pinnacle of the of the passage of blessings. Is that a blessing, or is it something else? So let's start with this word, komemius. Now I translated it as upright. The Rashbam, one of the classic commentators to the Torah, says. The two phrases are connected. God says, I will lift the yoke from you and that will cause you to be upright. Meaning you're bent over from the burden of the yoke that is bearing down on you. When God says, I will remove that weight from you, then as a result of that, you will be upright. One causes the other. What does that mean? So let me share with you very briefly three fascinating answers to this question. The first comes from the Rav, Rav Yosef Salavechik of Blessed Memory. I've shared this with some of you before in a completely different context. But the Rav used to tell the following story. When Rav Soloveitchik was a boy, he grew up in Warsaw. And he and his family lived in a poor neighborhood because they were poor and everyone around them was poor. And there was a certain small synagogue that he used to attend as a boy on Shabbos. And most of the people that attended this synagogue, like most of the people that lived in his neighborhood, were poor. And many of them worked as schleppers, as a porter, as a person who, you know, today you have uh, uh, the delivery services, they bring it to your door. But in former times, you don't have a truck and a car and all those things. You want to deliver something, you carry it on your back. He used to say, the Rav used to say, I always say that in Warsaw, I saw, as a boy, I saw sights that I never saw since. You would see a large piece of furniture that seemed to be walking down the street on its own. There was a Jewish porter, a schlepper, who was carrying the furniture on his back but he was totally bent over from the weight of the burden that he was carrying. If you buy a piece of furniture, how do you think it gets to your house? There's some schlepper, a Jewish man who has the job to carry this gigantic weight and he carries it on his back. So he's bent over. So the Rav said he would see, it looked like a piece of furniture that's walking down the street with legs coming out of the bottom. You wouldn't even see the person because they were under the burden. I knew these Jews well, he says. 
I once spoke with one of them who was frail and short. He constantly carried heavy metal pieces, and I wondered where he got the physical strength to support this weight. His load had him bent over. On Shabbos, when the Sabbath came, I saw this same Jew, and I did not recognize him. He was wearing his kapata, his long Shabbos garment. It was tattered. There were patches. There were patches on the patches. And he was standing upright. I didn't recognize him. His face shined with the joy of Shabbos. I recognized in a tangible fashion that a person's Sabbath countenance is totally different than his weekday appearance. That is komamius, to stand upright. The yoke is lifted, the burden is lifted when Shabbos comes, and we stand upright on Shabbos. And that's available to us physically, like the porter, like the schlepper, or emotionally or spiritually, we go through the week and we are metaphorically bent over from our burdens, our worries, our concerns, our, our work. And then Shabbos comes, ah, we stand upright. Komamius. And that's what God is promising to the Jewish people on a long-term basis. If we follow God's commands, we will have that spiritual energy, that dignity to stand upright. That is one way to understand how God lifts the yoke from us and allows us to stand upright. Okay, a second approach. This approach is shared by Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner, a great scholar of the previous generation. And it starts with the following passage in the Talmud. The Talmud asks the following question, Amar Abelazar, Adam Arishan, Adam, the first man, how tall was he? How tall was he? Presumably the Talmud is asking not in a literal physical sense, but in a metaphoric spiritual sense. How tall was he? He was so tall that he reached from the earth to the sky. That's how tall he was. Presumably metaphorically, he was a spiritual giant from the earth to the sky. But when Adam sinned, God placed his hand on Adam's head, metaphorically, and reduced his stature. Then there's another passage in another volume of the Talmud that says, when the Mashiach comes in the Messianic era, quotes our verse, V'olech eschem komamius, the yoke will be removed and we will regain 
the stature of Adam before he sinned. We will be as tall as Adam was before he committed the sin. We will spiritually be as tall as from the ground to the sky. So, according to this explanation, this is a bracha, this is a blessing, that when the messianic era comes, there will be a future elevation of humanity, of human dignity, of spiritual attainment that will happen to us with the coming of Mashiach, the Messianic era, with our yoke removed, we will be upright, full of stature, like Adam before the sin. Okay. Let me now share with you a third approach. And this is approach an approach that comes from Bailey Newman. And she references Mr. Rogers, the famous children's TV show host. I'm sure you've heard this. He said this many times. He often told the story about when he was a small boy and he would see something scary, something scary in the news or some kind of disaster, or a tragedy, he would see something frightening or terrible. And his mother would say to him, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And he used to say this all the time, when something terrible happens, God forbid, look for the helpers. In other words, what his mother was encouraging him to do and what he did for so many other people is don't just look at the tragedy. Look beyond the tragedy to those who are removing the yoke, to those who are helping. Look to the nurses, the paramedics, the firefighters. Look to the grandparents, to the friends, to the spiritual leaders, the people who are on the sidelines of the tragedy, but they see something happening, they see somebody in need, and they jump in and involve themselves. In other words, we can train ourselves to look beyond the tragedy and find the goodness, beyond the terror, and find those who are jumping in to save from the terror. And then she tells the following story. I've shared with you before, she was a social worker and she says that she once had a client, a young girl, that had gone through a lot of difficulties. This young girl was in an alternative high school and Bailey told this story about Mr. Rogers. Look for the helpers to this young girl. And the young girl smiled and she said, yeah, I have a secret. I have a way that I do the same thing. And she said to Bailey, sometimes I take the subway to school. Sometimes I make paper cranes piece of paper and I write a message on it, a message of encouragement, a message of praise. It's completely anonymous, 
It's on colorful paper. I fold it into the shape of a crane. And when I get to my stop and I get up to leave the subway, I just leave it on the seat. Nobody knows who did it. I just leave it there. So Bailey asks her, why, what do you get out of that? What do you, what benefit? And how did you even think of such an idea? Why would you, why would you even think to do such a thing? So this girl says, you know, I'm going to school in the morning. I'm on the subway. I look around at all the strange faces. I know because I know my own experience. I know there are others that are going through struggles, sorrows, challenges, difficulties may be invisible, but I know people are going through difficulty because I know that I have been. And I say to myself, how could I improve their lives? How could I somehow infuse myself into their narrative and offer them an unexpected moment of joy, an unexpected moment of recognition of awareness? And she said to Bailey, she said, listen, sometimes you don't have Mr. Rogers mother to be able to come and be a helper to look for the helper. Sometimes there is no helper. A person could be sitting there and they're going through something terrible and there is no helper. Sometimes you can't expect somebody else to show up, to be the helper, to remove the yoke. Sometimes you have to be that helper. Sometimes you have to be the one to lift the yoke from someone else's shoulders. And this is my way of doing that. I just leave it anonymous. Nobody knows I did it. Nobody knows the name, but somebody will pick it up. And maybe there'll be a person that really needed that word of encouragement, that word of praise. And I'll be the one to help. Bailey Newman continues and says that she learned this lesson from Rabbi Noach Weinberg, a blessed memory, a great, great rabbi. And he commented on a passage in the Torah at the very beginning of the book of Shemos. Remember when we first meet Moshe, Moses. Remember the narrative, Moshe goes out and he sees one day that there is an Egyptian who is mercilessly beating a Jewish slave. And so Moshe intervenes to protect this Jewish slave from the beating that he's receiving. And he actually takes the life of this Egyptian aggressor. But listen to the words of the Torah. The Torah says, Vayifen kovako, Moshe looks this way and that way, and he sees that there's no one around. And then Moshe takes action to defend and protect this Jewish slave from being beaten. Now, you might read those words and say to yourself, Moshe was looking around to make sure he didn't get in trouble, right? Remember, the Egyptians are in charge. If he's going to do something to this Egyptian, Egyptian taskmaster, he could get in trouble. So he looks this way. He looks that way. He sees there's nobody to get him in trouble and he takes action. Rabnach Weinberg said, no, that's not what's happening here. 
That's not the right way to read this. He looked this way and he looked that way, invoking the words in Pirkei Avos. Pirkei Avos says, ish. If you're in a situation where there is no ish, there's no person to step up and be a helper in a time of need, you've got to be the helper. You've got to be the person. He looked this way and he looked that way because he was looking for the helpers. He was looking for the person that was going to come to the aid of this poor slave who was being beaten. But there was no helper. Moshe wasn't afraid of the authority of the taskmaster. He was looking for the helper. But there was no helper. So Moshe became the helper. Moshe became the person in a place where there were no people. There, were no, there was no helper. He lifted the yoke from this man so that that man would be able to stand upright. Just like Moshe had been lifted out of the Nile River when he was a baby. He was saved by Paro's daughter because someone lifted him up. Moshe then was in a position later to lift up someone else. Just like God will break the yoke that is bearing us down, allowing us to stand upright, we need to emulate God. We have to break the yoke on others when there is no one else to help them so that they can stand upright. We need to recognize that there are people around every one of us right now that are lifting the yoke from us. People that are helping us, people that are sharing a kind word, people that are sharing an encouraging message, people that are sharing a message that is helping us, that is lifting us. We need to recognize the helpers who are around us, but we also need to commit now and going into the future that if we see someone who is bent over with a burden and there is no helper to come to their aid, that we need to be the helper. We need to lift the yoke so they can stand upright. These words, these two phrases, they're not just a bracha, they're not a blessing. They're a blessing and a challenge for us to emulate. That's how we're supposed to work. That's how we're supposed to act. When we see someone in trouble and there is no other helper, we have to be the helper. So we need to ask God to bless us. That when there is darkness, God forbid, when there is tragedy, God forbid, we should be able to see not only the tragedy, but also the helpers who come to aid. And we also have to have the strength that when there are no helpers, we have to be the helper. We have to be the one that assists someone else to be able to stand upright. We have to be the one to leave the paper crane to lift someone else's spirit so that they will be able 
to walk upright through the tragedy into healing. My friends, I want to wish you a great evening and a wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.